0: If Washington wants to get right with voters, it has to start listening to them. Welcome to Beyond the Bubble. You're about to hear a special show that we did in front of a live audience on Saturday. It was right before the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and it was right before all the controversy that came out of the White House Correspondents' Dinner, but we put together a very interesting panel, including director and actor Rob Reiner and three journalists who were part of the McClatchy-Knight Ritter family, because Rob Reiner's next film is about them and their work. It's called Shock and Awe, and I hope you enjoy this show.
1: January 20th, the day the people became the rulers of this nation again.
2: Our ideals and fundamental values are being attacked. Do we retreat or do we fight? I say we fight.
3: He heard those voices that were out there that other people weren't hearing, and he just earned a mandate.
0: It is time for Democrats to grow a backbone and get out there and fight.
4: The American people would like to try something new. We would like to see the country go in a different direction to change the course for America. He doesn't take this presidency seriously enough. So to all Americans, hear these words. You will never be ignored again.
2: it is my uh, great privilege to please say welcome to Kristen Roberts.
0: I'm Kristen Roberts, I'm Washington editor for the 30 news organizations all around America that together make McClatchy. Each and every week we call political reporters and political operatives who live and work well beyond the beltway and ask them how voters out there are reacting to Donald Trump and Republican Washington, but this week we're gonna do something different. In honor of the White House Correspondents Association's annual dinner, we are going to celebrate public service journalism. I have the very special honor of getting to interview Rob Reiner, director, actor. His film, Shock and Awe, is coming out very soon and it is an extraordinary piece of art about some journalism that we are all associated with proudly. Journalism that frankly should have won a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. And then I get the great pleasure of welcoming back to the mcclatchy Ritter family, the three journalists who were brave enough to stand alone in reporting that the George W. Bush administration did not have the evidence to support the claims about WMD in Iraq. So thank you, and let's get going. And on your route up to the stage... Let's all watch a clip of Shock and Awe.
1: If every other news organization wants to be stenographers for the Bush administration, let them. We don't write for people who send other people's kids to war. We write for people whose kids get sent to war. So when the government says something, you only have one question to ask. Is it true?
0: Only get to play a manager of reporters in a newsroom. You got to play a manager of reporters on a screen. So please tell me, who's the bigger diva, the actor or the reporter?
1: The reporter. No. That's I mean, what I ac- thought he was no. Say. No, the actor is always the bigger diva. I've got to say that that speech that that we just showed was the whole newsroom had been watching Dick Cheney on Meet the Press, and the. Two journalists that we showed, Woody Harrelson and James Marsden, or were Jonathan Landay and, and Warren Strobel. They look at each other, and because. Throughout the entire time that they were reporting on this, they questioned. They were saying, are we getting this right? We're the only ones talking about this stuff, questioning the aluminum tubes, the connection to Saddam Hussein, the weapons of mass destruction. They were really concerned whether or not they were getting it right. And they look at each other at that point, and one of them says to the other, we don't see it there, but they say, are we right? And the, there's a look of pain on uh, Jonathan Landy's face. And the speech that i give here is the speech that john walcott gave in the actual newsroom at at Knight Ritter. he gave that speech and we took it right out of his you know what he told us and we we put it in the film that's what he said to everybody because people were feeling are we getting this right mm-hmm. are we you know we don't want to be putting out something that is is wrong and so he gives that speech you know, you got to give a lot of credit to John Walcott for yeah. having the strength.
0: So, Rob, how did you find this story? Were you following their reporting and editing in real time? Or no, did you come to I wasn't.
1: It I wasn't, and that's the problem. I didn't, I was like everybody else, uh, reading New York Times, the Washington Post, reading various, you know, reputable outlets and looking at this and going, "I, I have to be out of my mind, I must be crazy because this is not making sense. None of this is making sense for those of us who You know, I was talking to Greg about this before. For those of us who, you know, read the project for the new American century and knew what the strategy was and knew that the idea of going into Iraq right after 9-11 was based on that and not based on anything, you know, they didn't attack us, the Rockies didn't attack us. I thought, "This this is crazy making. Isn't anybody, you know, is it that, Journalists are worried about access. Is it that uh, they're too close to the to this to the source? You know, to their sources. What 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 is going on here? And as somebody who was of draft age during the Vietnam War and against the Vietnam War, I thought I can't believe that in my lifetime we're going to war again based on lies. And I thought, how how is this possible? So when we invaded Iraq, I wanted to tell the story of how we got there. And I didn't quite know how to do it. I, I thought, what, you know, it's, it seems so uh, surreal to me. Uh, I first thought maybe there's a satire in this. Maybe it's a, you know, like a Dr. Strange love kind of thing, because you had characters like Ahmed Chalabi and, you know, Iraqi National Congress and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And then it was until years later that I came across a documentary by Bill Moyers, and we quote Bill Moyers, right at the top of this film, saying that you know, we can't, essentially we can't have a, uh, a healthy democracy without an, a free and independent press. And that's what this film is about. I came upon this documentary, which basically explored what these journalists were able to do. John and Jonathan and Warren and, and also Joe Galloway, who is right. not here today, but he was one of the other journalists. And they were talking about how they got it right. And I went, oh. This, how come this story hasn't been told? There were people out there actually doing the work, actually trying to get the truth out, and I thought, that's the story, how difficult it is. And I must say, in this day and age, it, it, it's always difficult to get to the truth because every single administration pushes propaganda to sell a policy, to sell a rationale to go to war. And for journalists, it's very, very hard to get where the truth is, you have to really dig deep and search. And I got to give credit to McClatchy because I, you know, I'm following this connection with Russia. We have a Michelle and I started a website committee to investigate Russia. We're trying to, uh, uh, you know, inform the people as to what's going on because it's very, very complicated. And I have to say that McClatchy, the the the, the stories that have broken out of McClatchy are the most profound and the most uh, uh, impactful stories. The recent one about uh, discovering that Michael Cohn had actually been to Prague, to me, is monumental. You know, it's, it's great. And, I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not just saying it because I'm here, because Michelle and I have talked about this. I mean, we follow this stuff Intimately. I mean, we follow every breaking story that comes out of the Post, the Times, and every other uh, outlet, and when we see a McClatchy story, it's like, this is going to be something big and real because the work was done to get to the bottom of this. And so it's not just maybe, 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 you know, we heard this, we heard this, we have, they have good sources at these other outlets, but this we know, it's been researched, and that to me was huge.
0: There's a lot of similarity actually between what Jonathan and Warren and John were doing and what we've been going through on the Russia story, especially in the level of sourcing. And I think that that's something that comes out really well in the film we weren't working with the same level of sources that the competitors were, like the New York Times, for example, and yet we were breaking stories that were reaching the truth in a way that our competitors were not, and that that remains true today. I'd like to shift you, though, to American society for a second, because just this week, there was a poll that came out from Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac asked Americans whether the media was a protector of democracy, or the enemy of the people, and two thirds of respondents said protector of democracy. Yayas, right? But more than half of the respondents who were Republicans said enemy of the people.
1: Right. And there's the problem, right there. So
0: talk about how concerning that is, and how. What do we do about? It, it, that? It's
1: frightening, to be honest. It is frightening, because you know, I don't know if that. I may be the oldest person in this room, but like I say, there's always been. Administrations that are pushing out propaganda to sell a policy or whatever. Never in, in my lifetime, in our history, do I know of an administration that is supported by state-run television. That's never happened. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, Fox was skewed or this one's... No, no, no. This is now state-run television where you've got the President of the United States calling in talking to Hannity back and forth between the press. That's never happened in our history. And then you add on Sinclair, and you add on Breitbart, and you add on uh, Alex Jones, and it used to be there was the mainstream media, Mm -hmm. and then there was the lunatic fringe. Now the lunatic fringe is a big chunk of this population in the country. It's not a little sliver. It's half of the Republican party. And maybe more. Yeah. When you talk about Trump's numbers, they go between you know 30 to 40. There they fling flinging that. That's a, a big chunk of people that are being given lies that are being told outright lies. And it's scary. Not only not only for you guys in trying to break the truth out, you know, trying to break 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 through with the truth, but it's scary from a standpoint of people could die. I mean, a guy runs into a, a pizza place with a gun. I mean, they sent, they, and, and knowing what I know about CGI and how you can ma- manipulate not only the, the words, but the visuals, you can make up anything and put it out there. And we don't know the power of social media and the internet. We don't know, we don't understand it. And it was used successfully by the Russians. In this last election, they continue to use it. It's right there. We have conversations all the time with James Clapper, John Brennan, Michael Hayden, uh, uh, John Cypher. People in the, interne- in the in- intelligence community, they were caught flat-footed by all this and they don't understand what, there's no, uh, 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 there's no uh, uh, you know, imprimatur from the top of the administration saying we need to do something and we are vulnerable. Our democracy becomes vulnerable. So it's even more difficult and even more important that news organizations like McClatchy and others have to keep fighting and fighting hard because we can't let people stand up in front of us every day and just lie, just outright (laughs) lie to us. The
0: divide in America is not new. I think uh, what is new is our unwillingness to accept a common set of facts. And as my boss and I were talking last week in preparation for this very interview and talking about you, we, we were saying, All in the Family did something really extraordinary in creating a space where people from the left and the right could come together and have a conversation about uh, the issues of the day so many of which remain the issues of today i want to take one small moment to look at a clip that i think is relevant today
3: anything interesting in the paper yeah 200 arrested vietnam day peace demonstration 200 they should have thrown a whole bunch of them in the can with or without protesters this country would still have the same problems what problems well, it's the war, the racial problem, the economic problem, the pollution problem oh, come on, if you want a nitpick <laughs> Nitpick? Let me tell you something, Mr. Bunker No, let me tell you something, Mr. Stivic. You are a meathead
4: <laughs> Nice hair <laughs>
3: Yeah
1: And that, that, that clip, I actually wrote that, that, that script that's you know, it's a funny. And then he goes on to start singing God bless America and I'm screaming at him and, and all of this. And look at this, this is 45 years ago and it's still the same issues. We're still arguing about the, but about how the do same we get issues. Back,
0: how do we get back to that place where we can have an argument based on a common set of facts? Uh,
1: you know, it's gonna be tough. Uh, we're gonna need help from uh, the, uh, the tech community. We're gonna need a lot of help. And I don't think we know Quite how to handle this because you don't want to impinge on people's freedom of speech, but at the same time, you can't have millions of people being told there's a fire in the theater when there is none. And so, how do we? It's not like one guy yelling fire, it's, you know, how many people watch Alex Jones? And the guy, you know, said that Sandy Hook didn't happen, Uh, you know, and and the fish are turning gay and stuff. I mean, (laughs) we all laugh about it. Tens of millions of people see that, and that's scary. So, you know, you talk about all in the family. We were a country of 200 million people then. Uh, There was no DVR. There was no TiVo. There was no Twitter, Facebook, whatever. If you wanted to watch the show, you watched it. You had to actually watch it when it was on, and 40 million people would watch that, and then they'd have a shared experience, and then they can go and discuss it. Now, nobody watch. they watch only the things they want to watch at the time, and they don't interact at all with the people who are uh, you know, having different points of view. And the scary thing is, you look at somebody like Roseanne. Roseanne is now a Trump supporter in her show. That's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But in real life, she is. So that carries a message. I mean, Carol O'Connor, we're making fun of the, the difference between liberals and, and 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 conservatives and and carol o'connor in real life was w- even way more liberal than than i am i mean that's the tr- no that that's the truth and, and so then you know people we had a certain slant on what we were doing this is like feeding into that 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 other thing so there you have another ally along with you know uh, you know Breitbart and Sinclair and Fox. I think so, the
0: choose-your-own-adventure form huh? of information input is probably one of the most pernicious elements of our society. It, it
1: really is. It really is. We, you know, those cliches. We don't get outside of our bubbles. Our society beyond the bubble, you know. Yeah. But I'm saying it's 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 tough. You know, it's tough. So how do we recreate that? I I think it's going to take a lot of very smart people to figure out what are the principles of uh, a free press. Mm-hmm. What are those principles? And see how we can translate those principles into the digital age. How do we translate those things?
0: John, Jonathan, Warren, please join us up on the stage. question, frankly, is to, all, is to all three of you who have just joined us up here. I think we as reporters and journalists in D.C. and everywhere are quite used to the subjects of our journalism telling us that we are wrong. What was it like to be told by your peers and your colleagues and competitors that you were wrong?
1: So I guess I'll start off. Okay. Um, you better start off, Warren, because once Jonathan starts, I have be, you won't be able to get in. That's exactly what, what I'm doing
0: here. a good here. job with that bit of it, I would say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, look, when you're a journalist, you want to be ahead of the pack, right? We love to be ahead of the pack, whether it's five minutes, five days, whatever. But it's a very scary place, a position to be in as a journalist when you're here and everybody else is there. And I think as the movie shows, both Jonathan and I, uh, I don't think our boss ever did, but we had moments of sort of crisis where we were like, are we right? We trusted our reporting, we trusted our sources, we trusted each other immensely, but um, nobody else was doing what we were doing. That's kind of a scary place for a journalist to be, yeah. frankly. Um, I, I'll never forget
3: uh, one day, I was, I was the Pentagon reporter. A columnist uh, came up to me and said, you know, that story you just wrote is great, it, well done, keep doing this. And I'm thinking to myself, and he, he worked as a reporter for a very, very na- prestigious national newspaper. And I think to myself, thought to myself, well, how come you're not doing the same thing? Um, and and that was really telling. Um, there were nights when I couldn't sleep because we'd just published, and um, I'm thinking we haven't seen this anywhere else. Uh, alls we have to base our basically our career on is our credibility, uh, which is what's being eroded now very, very seriously from the highest parts of this government. And that's what you worry about, did I get this wrong? Did I get this so wrong? The one thing that sort of was reassuring was that uh, the administration never once, publicly, because privately is a whole nother matter denounced what we were doing, never criticized us, never said this is wrong, never announced anything from the podium, for any of the podium at the National Security, you know, the, the, the State Department, the White House, or the, or the Pentagon. But at, it was and, also at, a tactic at, though, wasn't and why, it? Why? May, well, well, May, it would have been probably the best, the best advertising we Absolutely. could have asked for, nevertheless that's not what was going on privately and I'll oh, wow. let John talk about that. Yeah.
0: I just want to stop. John, before you jump in there, I think that's a really important point. I think a lot of times we talk about the journalism that these three gentlemen created that was so important and could have had greater impact, had more people paid attention to it. And I think one of the reasons that people did not pay attention to it was because the administration was so smart in not bringing any attention to it. If they had commented at all, everyone would say, well, what are Landay and Strobel really talking about here? John as an editor, editor to editor, how hard was it for you or was it not hard at all to stand there and be alone with this story?
4: It wasn't hard at all, I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, I'd been doing this kind of reporting for 20 years before this started. Number two, I did some of the reporting right in there with them. My, My name was on some of these stories as well. My name was not on some of these stories to protect the sources. And number three, none of what the administration was saying made any sense at all. Warren came back the day after, September 12th, and said that the National Security Council had been discussing Iraq. And I thought, why in God's name are they talking about Iraq? It was Al-Qaeda mounted this attack. It's a radical Islamic group. Saddam Hussein is an enemy of Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is an enemy of Saddam Hussein. Why in God's name are they talking about Iraq? And having known some of the characters, it it became clear immediately that they thought they could plant a democratic flag in Iraq, that they thought they could help protect Israel by taking out Saddam Hussein, and that they were going to cook up reasons to justify doing that. And it got, the evidence got stronger and stronger, and the turning point, if there was one, was in, I think, November of 2001. And it's, I think, referred to in the movie, if I remember right. I got a call from a fellow I'd known for many, many years who was downrange. He was in Afghanistan. And put a call through. I'm not going to tell you exactly how the call got through, because it's not like he dialed me at home on the TACSAT, the tactical <coughs> satellite phone but uh, we have our ways. And he called and he said, what the hell is going on back there? And I said, what do you mean? He said, they're taking my assets away from me. I said, what do you mean? He said, translators, drones. I, I said, you know, what are you talking about? Where are they going? He said, they're getting ready for Iraq. And it took us two months, Warren and I, to write that story, what, February 13th or 14th, 2002. February
2: 2002. This guy was in in Afghanistan at that time. Yeah,
4: he was in Afghanistan. And we wrote a story, Bush has decided to overthrow Saddam. Uh, So that was a painstaking process for a couple of months. And i got to say one more thing, and that was the support we had from corporate at Knight Ritter. I only found out after this was all over that every time an advertiser had gone to Tony Ritter, and said, let me know when one of those damn stories is going to appear in your paper so I can pull my ads. And Tony said to them, you'll read it when I read it, when it's in the paper. And without that kind of support, we could never have done what we were doing.
0: Rob, in the film, uh, The New York Times, Judy comes under some uh, criticism, rightly. I think we can all agree. Also, the Philly Inquirer, though, and so maybe to Rob and, and to John, tell me about that. Why are well, we picking on the Philly Inquirer in particular? Because in this
1: film? It, it, the Philadelphia Inquirer was a flagship uh, newspaper for for Knight Ritter, and they weren't running their stories. And this is something that John told us that you know, and John had you know fights with the guy over there and saying you know, why aren't you running these stories? And the guy gave the same. Reasons that you'll see when you see the film, but there's one thing I want to say about John, and 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 there's a scene we have, uh, you know, with his wife Nancy, and it goes to what you said earlier, and why he was so sure about what he was doing, because in the scene she says, well, you know, do you ever have doubts? And he says, no, he says because I know who their sources are, and I know who our sources are, and that's a thing that John told me he he understood. He said, you know, they're getting you know, the, the, the company line from the higher-ups, and these guys are in the trenches knowing exactly what's going on, and they trust those sources.
4: I will say to you, uh, when you see the movie, and you pay 15 bucks, please, to go see the movie, <laughs> uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer takes the hit for a whole lot of Knight Ritter papers. And there was one showdown in particular at an editor's meeting in San Jose that was not with the Philadelphia Inquirer, but it sort of summarizes the problem. And it was an editor of a very, very good newspaper, still a very, very good newspaper. And I got into it with the whole room about why they weren't running, what John and Warren and some other folks were doing. And the answer finally came back, person got exasperated, under, understandably and said, well, it's the New York Times, it's Judith Miller, we have to run that. Uh, And that was the answer. That was not the Philadelphia Inquirer, that was elsewhere. But the Inquirer does take the hit for everybody. The last thing I'm going to say, it's important journalism, and it's why the McClatchy papers are so important. One of the things you learn when you start covering night cops as a local reporter, you don't want to talk to the police chief. You want to talk to the desk sergeant. You want to look at the log for that night to find out what really went on. Later on, if you get into combat, as John has been many, many times, all of us have seen a little bit of it, you don't want to talk to the general. You want to find some staff sergeant somewhere. You know, maybe some platoon leader and ask him what's going on. And the value of a source is more often inversely proportional to their rank than it is directly proportional. And that's the long answer to what Rob was talking about.
0: Let's get some questions. I'm absolutely certain there are some. Here we go. We've got one in front here. Jordan Marie, please.
2: I've got uh, little kids who watch a lot of YouTube. So if we can somehow make sure this all gets on YouTube. (laughs) Um, And I'd love to hear from all of you a little bit more about what you were just saying, John is the counsel you all are giving, particularly younger people, early career people, question everything, be skeptical, seek out truth, is, is that kind of what you're saying? And then kind of getting biblical and saying it'll set you free and you'll know, you'll know it when you find it? Yeah, look, there's a saying in journalism, that if your mother tells you something, check it out, right? And I, I think the fundamental thing of what we did, and it wasn't just the three of us here, it was a whole team at Knight Ritter, um, We checked out everything the Bush administration said, from the very top, the president, to Dick Cheney, to the National Security Advisor, to the Secretary of State, to very senior officials. We checked out what they said. And there's a line in the movie, a line in reality, the government tells you something, you determine whether it's true. And I think um, that's what we need today in journalism. And we still see a lot of it. I'm actually sort of heartened by the response that the journalists, I know there's a lot of trouble, there's a lot of business um, crises but I'm been heartened by the response of the journalistic community to the phenomenon of Trump. So, and Warren. I think McClatchy I got to say this. I mean I'm proud of you're still carrying the torch. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Jonathan and Warren both it strikes me that the biggest difference between what you were doing and the reaction or lack of reaction you were getting and what we're all doing right now in DC and that reaction is that the administration is lying about the journalism. So you said earlier that they they didn't say anything at all about what you were doing. If you had done that story today in this environment, they would have attempted to absolutely ruin your career and convince 50% of the population that everything that you were writing was pure fiction. How would you have operated in this environment and do you think you would have been able to do that kind of reporting today that you did then?
3: Reporting then and reporting now is the same. And it's been that way since reporters began reporting. There are certain rules that you have, obviously. The two-source rule, that was one of our mainstays of our reporting, and it still is. At least two sources. Um, And the difference now is that you can get attacked much more intensely from various uh, and sundry places rather than just the podia it's floral
0: there. Well done. Right.
3: Well, thank you very much.
0: You're
3: welcome. <laughs> That's why, I, you know, generally I need an editor, but. Mm-hmm. but
0: uh, you've got two right here. I got
1: a room full of them. Yeah, yeah.
3: Stereo editor. Yeah, right. But um, we actually have talked about this. And the question is if we had been doing now what we did then, there was none of the social media that creates these alternative voices that Rob so deftly talked about, would that have made a difference? And I don't know that it would have our work may have gotten much wider exposure, mm-hmm. but then so would have the counterattack. Yeah. That's right. The counterattack would have would have been much more intense. And, and, and I can tell you there, I mean, I have, and I'm sure John and Warren have, I have been the subject of a very intense counterattack about a three years of reporting that I did for McClatchy about a, a Medal of Honor recipient who been undeserved of, of the Medal of Honor, and a Medal of Honor recipient who wasn't going to get his Medal of Honor, because they tried to, to erase every piece of paper. And when I wrote the story about the, the first Medal of Honor recipient, the Marine, the Marine Corps came after me and McClatchy, but not raising questions about the substance uh, of what I had written, but about me, yeah. but about the company. We're disappointed that McClatchy should do such a thing. And, 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 and they came after my credibility, n- never answering any of the issues that I raised. That is now the case again today, but that attack would be 10 times worse given uh, the the situation that Rob described.
0: Right here with uh, Wendy, please. Hi, Um, what can you tell us with the distance of time about the private
3: reaction, about when you went to somebody at the NSC or the White House after a story ran, um, and, and during your reporting when you went to them for, context or
0: commentary, what, how did they respond within whatever you can say about that now?
2: Why don't I talk very briefly about the public reaction? We all, all experienced yeah. that. I mean, this is nothing new and certainly something you see today, but there was a segment of the population, especially when Walcott and I did the story in February saying um, the administration decided Saddam has to go. We didn't mm-hmm. report the hour of the attack or the method of the attack or the, you know the day, any military details, but we got mm-hmm. labeled traitors. You've got to remember, this is just three months after 9 11, and we got hate. There's a scene in the movie where we get this hate mail. The subject line of the email is scene. traitors, but it's spelled wrong. And this, I, we, t- we were, Landon and I are a little bit we scared. We we'll take it away. into his office, and he edits the thing. So there was a, yeah, to, to right. beg it, yeah. So there was a, uh, from a certain segment of the population, occasionally, not often, but occasionally involved physical threats and really nasty stuff. But John can talk more, I think, about the uh, private reaction from the US government.
4: Yeah, I got a phone call at one point from almost the highest level of the government that that did get to the traitor point. And yeah, to be honest with you, it didn't faze me in the least. My response probably could have been a little more polite than it was. But I don't think you talk to the President of the United States, the Secretary of State any differently than a reporter ought to talk to the mayor or the police chief Journalism really doesn't respect rank, and you can't be an effective fourth estate if you bow down to anybody. Uh, That was also one of the themes of Spotlight, which I thought was a great film, and the courage it took for the Boston Globe uh, to stand up to the Roman Catholic Church in Boston uh, shows the same kind of backbone that good journalism requires. It's so that simple. I
3: think we all, we all actually experienced the private reaction. I remember going in, being called in actually, summoned to, by, into, by one of the highest officials at the Pentagon, worked directly for the secretary, was ushered into his, into his office, and there were actually five people in there. Um, and they sat me next to uh, a, a character whose name I won't, I won't discuss here, Opposite this very senior person who's sitting against the wall, and I would ask him a question about what I was pursuing And this per- I noticed the guy next to me was looking and going or, and giving him hand signals and head nods and Eventually the guy uh, op- opposite me told turn your tape recorder off uh, And then he started attacking my credibility again my credibility and basically saying I'm gonna ruin your career in Washington, and rather than you know, getting angry at him, I just said, uh, I can tell you that I stand by every single story that I've written, and I think uh, this is over and I'm going to leave now, and walked out with his public affairs officer, an army officer, who looked at me and said, you know, that was great, because if I had been you, I would have b- slapped the, the MF <laughs> for doing now what I he did. I to
0: beep the show. Yeah.
3: No, sorry.
4: I I, I gotta speak up for Joe Galloway, who's not here. There's a wonderful scene in the movie that I'm not gonna give away to you because I want you to see the movie and pay for it. (laughs) Uh, But Joe did three tours in Vietnam. He won a bronze star. He wrote the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, if you've seen that movie, We Were Soldiers. And there's a wonderful scene in the movie about a little visit Joe paid when Donald Rumsfeld summoned him to his office at the Secretary of State, and Joe's response to Rumsfeld's attempt to bully him. Now, I'm not gonna give it away, but you gotta see it. And I get, like everything else in this movie, this is an important point, it's what happened. It this is movie funny. is accurate.
0: So the last question is for you. Yes. You, Rob, are a storyteller like we are. How do we as journalists do a better job of not just getting the facts right, but getting people to believe the facts that we're getting right?
1: Well, first of all, have a good lead, lead, uh, lead line. You know, the headlines and the lead line has to be that. Something has to, you know, we always say in a movie, you gotta grab people. When we found out that uh, Michael Cohn had gone to Prague, it grabbed you. You went, wait, what, what, what? And so now you're gonna pay attention and you're gonna read what, what's what's there.
0: So please, everybody join me in thanking Rob Reiner, Warren Strobel, Jonathan Landay, and John Walcott. <laughs> Thanks again to Rob Reiner, John Walcott, Jonathan Landay, and Warren Strobel for being on our show. Keep an eye out for Shock and Awe, exclusively on DirecTV on June the 14th and in theaters and on demand on July 13th. Thank you to Jordan Marie Smith, Davin Coburn, Ayana Morali, and Randy Smith for producing the live episode, and thank you, our listeners. We want to hear from you, so please send your questions and your comments to btb at mcclatchy.com, and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash beyond the bubble pod. Tell us what you're seeing in your battleground states, and we might even ask you to call into the show. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. We want to say thank you to everyone who has left us a review or a rating. Talk to you next week.